Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Feckin' Metal. I am your host, Fergal Trainer. I realise this episode is later than usual and I apologise for that. I know consistency is a huge thing in podcasting. Podcasts I listen to, I expect there to be a new episode on the day that it's promised. And while I haven't explicitly promised that there's going to be a new episode every Friday, uh, it is implied in the fact that most episodes are released on a Friday. And then I did promise that there was going to be an episode on Sunday. So, on Twitter. Um, Yeah, so look, I apologise for that, but I, in my defence, I am a procrastinator. It's in my nature. Um, If you don't understand what I mean by that, there's a great article you can read about this from the author Tim Urban, and he writes a blog called Wait But Why, and that's been going since, I think, at least 2013, and the article I'm referencing is from, I think, 2013, and it's called Why Procrastinators Procrastinate, and uh, you can still look that up online, so if you look up Wait But Why, and then you look up Why Procrastinators Procrastinate, that's basically my life story there uh, in an article or an online blog post by Tim Urban, who, who speaks my language. As people would say nowadays, he's my, uh, what did I say? He's my fucking, um, oh shit, it escaped me now. He is my... Christ! It's a, He is my spirit animal. And I actually don't really use that term. I was just trying to be cool or, I don't know, something... Um, subversive maybe who knows who knows anymore it's fucking 18 minutes past 10 on a sunday it's the 14th of march there you go behind the curtain there um i'm only starting to record this now having a guinness gotten too distracted on twitter too distracted by t-shirts and feckin metal points uh and not not concerned enough with actually recording podcasts which is my primary focus or should be my primary focus anyway here i am now uh, and this is episode one no it's not it's episode 0.5 in my black sabbath arc which i've been promising for a long time arc sabbath hashtag arc sabbath use the hashtag on twitter if you want to join in the conversation that's at feckin metal cast that's where you can reach me on twitter and this is episode 0.5 of my black sabbath arc arc sabbath now, you might ask yourself, why is it episode 0.5? Well, the answer is, is because I'm not ready to start yet, but I do have enough information and material and content, content, what a horrific word in 2021 or at any time, um, to persevere and continue and present an episode to you. I'm using the Neil Young Archives uh, live performance releases model where he had several archival live releases planned. For example, like live release um zero one zero two zero three whatever but he didn't release them in chronological order so he might have released release 11 and then he might have released release zero three and then he might have released zero nine and then he realized that there were and then he might have released release 10 and he realized that there were ones that he wanted to release that happened between nine and ten so he started doing things like 9.5 and that type of stuff so uh, that's not specifically how he did it but if you go and look into his neil young archives uh, live release series you'll see what I mean so I'm calling this episode 0.5 because it's certainly not episode 1 but it's nearly there and we're nearly there so I'd like to introduce to you uh, some 
participants in the Black Sabbath arc. This is going to be a series of episodes where I speak to different people, uh, some podcasters, some fans, and some experts about Black Sabbath. And I talk to them about the band and their involvement with the band and various periods of the band. And I'm going to try my best to go in chronological order as I do that. So I'm going to try and start from the inception of the band and go to uh, the present day or at the end of the band, which is theoretically 2017 at the end of the end tour. But it's not always going to flow exactly chronologically because the interviews and the conversations didn't flow exactly chronologically. But I'm going to edit in people's comments and do the best that I can to make it flow like that. Um, But yes, but let's have a little uh, chat here amongst ourselves, that being me and you, whoever you are, uh, about my history with Black Sabbath. And that starts in around 2002, I think. I'm pretty sure it's 2002. A friend of mine, Kevin, his name is mentioned regularly on Feckin' Metal. Uh, we were quite influential influential blah, 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 blah. in one another's musical history, blah, 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 story, etc. And uh, he got a, a double CD best of, which was released in the year 2000, and it was called The Best of Black Sabbath. It was a Sanctuary music release at, at the time. Sanctuary music owned the back catalogue of Black, Black Sabbath up to, I think, The Eternal Idol, so... They bought over the Castle Music um, remaster series or whatever, you know, and, and they started re-releasing them again in 2004. But in 2000, anyway, they released a two-CD best of uh, the Best of Black Sabbath. And it was one of these albums that's not considered an official best of because the band do not endorse it. Um, but it was a great um, starting point for me into the band Black Sabbath. So it features mainly Ozzy Osbourne uh songs so it features songs from the early albums you know the first six you're talking black sabbath to sabotage and it features songs very heavily from those albums for example i think there might be about six songs but from by the time you get to technical ecstasy there's only one song and then when like never say die there's only one song and then there's only one song from heaven and hell which was with dio and there's only one song from mob rules and then there's one song from uh the Ian Gillen album Born Again. And after that then they don't they don't choose any songs. Now they only really had the rights to use songs from Seventh Star and The Eternal Idol and after that the record company changed to IRS and there's all that type of messing around and you know. But they could have played songs or could have chosen songs, excuse me, from Seventh Star and The Eternal Idol, but the record company or the publishing company whatever chosen not to so that was my introduction to black sabbath so it goes in chronological order it starts out um, at the debut album black sabbath from 1970 and finishes on uh, born again from 1983 i was probably about 16 years old when i first started listening to black sabbath i remember some early favorites of mine were children of the grave tomorrow's dream um supernaut and a symptom of the universe i quite like those songs um That's from the Aussie era, but really, the ones that stood out to me most were when I got to the end of CD2 and I got to Heaven and Hell, I remember listening to that song for the first time, going, what the fuck is this? This riff, it's so catchy. It gets under my skin. And this singer, at the time I didn't know there were two different singers, but when I listened to that song, I was like, this singer, the singing on this song is, it's unbelievable. Uh, It's... It's speaking to me. And then I listened to the next song after that, and it was Turn Up The Night, which was on the Mob Rules 
Uh, and those two songs specifically spoke to me a lot more than anything else on the album. Uh, and then the final track was Zero the Hero, which I thought was okay. Um, I soon fi- found out that um, those songs that stood out to me the most were the Ronnie James Dio songs, the only two Ronnie James Dio songs on the album. And that was my introduction to Black Sabbath. So my friend Kevin got that album on a two CD uh, release and I copied that on the mini disc as I did in those days. And I listened to it and, and much like the Iron Maiden album, Best of the Beast. I consumed it in pieces. So I remember specifically taking in songs like Black Sabbath and Nib and that type of stuff and Paranoid. And then kind of getting into Tomorrow's Dream and Snowblind. And, and I, I would consume these in chunks and I'd be like, right, okay, and then I'm moving on and moving on. And now it's Killing Yourself to Live. And now it's that type of thing. And I would do my best to consume the album in chunks. But by the time I got to the last chunk, the Dio chunk, I was sold massively on Ronnie James Dio. And, and again, I didn't quite know who he was at the time. But I did find out soon enough. So I, I came across a magazine, Q Magazine. I don't know if it's still around anymore. I'm not sure. But when I was younger, Q Magazine was seen as quite an influential magazine, especially in the UK and Ireland. It was published in the UK, but available in Ireland. On this particular issue of Q Magazine, they had a two-page spread, a buyer's guide to Black Sabbath. And back around 2002, I didn't have the internet. And a two-page spread like that about a band like Black Sabbath, which had such a vast discography, was a huge source of information to the likes of me, a, a young 16-year-old, who had a mini-disc version of a two-CD album by Black Sabbath. But really, beyond that, and beyond knowing that Ozzy Osbourne was the singer, at least at one point, beyond all of that, knew very little about the band. So I bought this magazine, which was like 132 pages, just for the two-page uh, spread on Black Sabbath, and it went into everything it went through the early 70s albums with ozzy it went through the dio albums it went through the glenn hughes and tony martin albums talked about dehumanizer which i didn't even know existed back then that's the album where ronnie james dio came back to the band and then talked about the later 90s albums now it was quite dismissive of some of the non-ozzy and dio albums and that's fine you know it was one writer's opinion about those albums and how good they were or how much they weighed up to uh, the other albums in the canon and the catalog but there was a two-page spread on black sabbath and that wasn't something you'd expect to see in Gu magazine and i wasn't really au fait with the hard rock or the metal magazines back then so i was happy to see something like this in a magazine that i kind of knew um, and i brought it home and i read that so many times those two pages i read them and read them and read them and i learned the names of the black sabbath albums and the years they were released and the singers on the albums and um, i can even remember specific sentences about the album so uh, about born again they said uh, they were talking about the album born again and then they were talking about the tour and they said when the band brought the album on tour bill ward wisely slid off to rehab and i'll never forget that sentence uh, and they talked about bev bevan coming in um and then like they talked about terry chimes coming in from the clash and it was just so informative it, it had so much information in it in, in two pages and to me as a fan without the internet back then this intrigued me and it inspired me to go on a journey with this band that I'm still on to this day, really. Um, but it, it opened my mind up to the fact that they had so many albums. like, And more than you would see in the shops. You wouldn't necessarily see all these albums in the shops. You'd see a selection of them, but you wouldn't necessarily see them all. So to discover that they had maybe, I don't know, what was it, 18 studio albums or something like that, and several live albums, it was it was an eye-opening magazine article. So after I had read and reread and reread this article in Q Magazine, 
I went out and bought the album Mob Rules by Black Sabbath. This was the second album they recorded with Ronnie James Dio. I remember this getting a particularly good mention. I think they said something like, Tony Iommi does twiddly Eddie Van Halen guitar bits. Something like that. Maybe one of you has this magazine to hand. You can pull it up and you can find the article itself. But uh, Yeah, twiddly Eddie Van Halen guitar bits. And they generally spoke quite favourably about Mob Rules. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go and get Mob Rules. So I went out and bought Mob Rules. And I fucking loved it. I thought it was an excellent album. I loved Dio's voice. It was closer to the likes of Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, which I was a huge fan of already at that point. And to me, it was more melodic, and the guitar was more interesting, and the solos and the riffs were less doomy and more melodic. Uh, sorry, I, I rely too heavily on that word, but it, it usually fits what I'm trying to describe. So I loved my brills. And then shortly after I bought my brills, I bought Heaven and Hell. And again, I knew the title track, but by God, songs like Children of the Sea, Die Young, um, they jumped off the CD, jumped out of the stereo at me. And I, I was just fascinated by the booklets. So the booklets, these were the either the Castle 96 um, reissues. Actually, they were the Castle 96 reissues. And they had text by Hugh Gilmore, who was a writer for Classic Rock magazine, which I was a semi-regular reader of. Um, and Hugh Gilmore wrote biographical... Um, he wrote a little two-page spread in the CD booklet a biography of the band at the time. So he'd give the background about just before the album and then just after the album. So let's say it was Heaven and Hell. He'd give you the lowdown on on um, Never Say Die and that type of thing, and then he'd lead into Heaven and Hell. And at the end, he wouldn't mention that uh, Bill Ward left and they had a new drummer or whatever. And then the booklet for Mob Rules would pick up at that point, and they'd give you a bit of a background of the end of the Heaven and Hell era and then pick up at Mob Rules, and at the end of that, he'd tell you a little bit about live evil and born again and you were i was kind of reading these things like a story i was like oh ian gillen oh i wonder what happens next so i bought those two albums but then i decided i should go back into the aussie albums and um i bought uh after i bought that in some order something like this i bought master of reality sabbath bloody sabbath volume four uh then i went and got dehumanizer i got born again i got headless cross they were all around an 18-month period, and I don't really know the order in which I bought them. Uh, I was looking up albums on ratiermusic.com, which I was a user of, and I still am, but not as regularly, but that was a huge source of information for me. And I remember that specifically influencing me to go and buy Dehumanizer, because I was looking at all the albums, and the albums have um, a rating out of five, like... Uh, they have an average rating out of five based on all of the users. A weighted average, actually, it is. So I, I and, and they have reviews, so you can review, catalog, rate your music on Rate Your Music. <laughs> I've spoken about this before. But yeah, I was looking at the, the reviews and the ratings for Dehumanizer. I was like, this is a Dio album. I love Dio. I loved the sound of the reviews, and the rating was pretty decent. So I was like, I'm going to go out and buy this. But yeah, I can't remember the exact sequence that I bought them. But I used to go in and buy albums in Terror Records on Wicklow Street in Dublin. Unfortunately, now that branch has closed down. It's moved to Dawson Street, and it's not quite the 
the same it doesn't have the same vibe the shop unfortunately but um when i was in college in the city center in dublin i used to go into college during the day whatever when my lectures were finished i'd swing back by tower records and i always had a bit of money i was always working um so 10 euro 9.99 whatever it wasn't a big deal to go and spend on an album so i'd probably go in maybe once a week and buy at least one cd uh, and i remember picking up master of reality sabbath bloody sabbath the humanizer they're all always only a tenor volume four um and i picked up all of them and, and brought them home and listened to them and in those days i would have a disc man so i brought them around with me uh, and then i would often record them onto my mini disc so i'd make compilation mini discs of the best albums or sometimes the best songs but yeah that's that's how i was exposed to black sabbath back in the day it was a best of a magazine article and then my own self-discovery with the help of rachel music and uh yeah um that's pretty much how i did it there was i mean this is redundant but there was no youtube back in those days people love saying that don't they yeah <laughs> but yeah there was no youtube back in those days and for me there there i mean there i could use the internet in college but i didn't have the internet at home so i couldn't sit there all night pouring over the internet but um it just kind of but the pieces started falling into place there was Aussie there was Dio then my friend Kevin got the Aussie live at Budokan DVD uh, and I heard some of Aussie solo material but then he also got the Dio Evil or Divine I think it was live in the Roseland Ballroom in New York he got that DVD so we used to sit there on, on a Friday or a Saturday night and watch Ozzy Osbourne DVDs or, or Dio DVDs and often it would be when we were pre-drinking before we went out uh, but we would fucking pay attention to these dvds it wasn't some background thing while we were drinking it was like it was the pre-event before the main event i suppose of going out but yeah we would we would watch these dvds and then there was all all sorts of other things i was noticing references to dio in popular culture for example tenacious d had a song called dio in their debut album and i think i had that album before i got into dio or sabbath and then retrospectively i kind of it made sense it was like ah that's what that means and all all of this shit was coming together and then my friend kevin also got a rainbow um cd it was like um all night long an introduction to rainbow by polydor so they they released a lot of these albums back in the day of bands that had a massive catalog and maybe you you as as a consumer were intimidated by um by the band because their catalogue was so vast so you didn't know which album to buy so you so they had these things and Rainbow was one of them so it was called All Night Long an Introduction to Rainbow so so Kevin got that and I had all the different versions of Rainbow so I had gotten into Dio we had both gotten into Dio and we were like oh Dio was also in this band Rainbow and they have this song Stargazer and they have blah 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 but they had the, like the Jolyn Turner and Roger Glover um, line up on the cover so it was all very confusing and it, you really had to do a lot of detective work and an investigative work to, to piece all this stuff together. But gradually we did. And um, I remember around 2005, so properly into Sabbath, properly into Dio. Dio played at the Ambassador. Now, it was a Dio gig, not a Sabbath gig, but it was Ronnie James Dio playing. Um, an evening with Dio, actually, it was billed as. And he was playing the entire holy diver album and then played several rainbow songs such as tara woman and gates of babylon and several black sabbath songs such as heaven and hell and it was a fucking fantastic show i mean it goes without saying that it was fantastic and then i mean much later on we finally this is me and kevin there we finally got to see ozzy the Aussie version of Sabbath. so black sabbath played in belfast in 2013 it was the reunion 
I mean, one of the many reunion tours with Ozzy, but they'd, they'd released the uh, 13 album and they were touring that. And then I got to see them in download again in, in 2016. So it's been, a, it's been a journey with Black Sabbath. And as along the way, I listened to the Tony Martin stuff and quite liked some of that as well. And I went and listened to the Ian Gillan album, Born Again in Full. And I really familiarized myself with Black Sabbath. And I read Ozzy Osbourne's autobiography i read tony iomi's autobiography i read mick wall's book symptom of the universe and i read the book called how black was our sabbath by a couple of the roadies of black sabbath their names escape me now uh hold on who was it by uh, david tangy and graham wright uh, i read that a long time ago and I, I forget most of it to be honest but yes um we, i i've familiarized myself a lot more with the career the music and the mythology of Black Sabbath. And to top it all off, I've been listening to the Sabbath Bloody Podcast podcast by Rye, my Canadian uh, mate, <laughs> who I've been chatting back and forth with. Um, and uh, that that nicely ties together all of the information out there on Black Sabbath and the books, and then his own opinions, of course, on Black Sabbath. And I highly recommend it. So you might ask me, why why are you doing a podcast on Black Sabbath? What can you possibly add to the voices that are out there that hasn't been said by someone else, written by someone else, spoken by someone else? And the answer is probably nothing. But what I can do is I can consolidate the views and the opinions of not just me, but podcasters who I interact with, who will be familiar to listeners of this podcast, fans who I interact with, who will be familiar to listeners of this podcast, and then a couple of experts who may or may not be familiar to uh, listeners of this podcast. And what I think I will, I'm going to achieve is I'm going to get a, um, a consolidation of the views of Black Sabbath and the various different opinions that surround the band. So if you read a book or if you listen to a podcast, you're only getting one person's view. Where with this series, with my Arc Sabbath, I intend to get many different people's views and splice them all together into a nice little audio documentary about the band and give you an overview of several different people's views of Black Sabbath, from the fans, the podcasters, the experts, and myself. And maybe that's just different enough to be worthwhile and worth everybody's time. So that's what I'm hoping I can do. But it's not all about me. There are contributors to this podcast and I have recorded interviews with several of them. So I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into four of those contributors today. Firstly, this is a person who interacted with me initially via email. He had listened to Feckin' Metal and contacted me, and we've been in touch now ever since for the last few months. Um, this guy's name is Philip. He's a Swiss-born person living in the United States, and here is his story. I remember the first time I saw or heard Black Sabbath. It was 1992. Uh, I am in my 40s. So I was of the MTV generation. And the TV Crimes video came on. And it was just, yeah, it's badass. It's a killer song. It was fantastic. So the first time I've heard Black Sabbath, the first time I understood who they were, they was with the Dio lineup. So kind of like the first time you heard Maiden was Blaze. First time I heard 
Sabbath was with uh, Ronnie James Dio. And I had no, at that time, no knowledge of the personnel of the lineup. So I did not know that Ozzy used to be the singer. Cause you know, here I'm 14 first intro dehumanizer is out. I went and bought the cassette. I still have it. Um, and you know, I listened to it a lot. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. Bought the humanizer. I listened to it a lot. Um, I was, you know, it was 1992 and it, for us 90s metalheads, a lot of stuff happened at the same time because the 90s were everything happened, you know, death metal, black metal, the extreme metal. I was absorbing all of this. I had been about, I've been a metalhead in 1992 for about maybe a year. And I was going down all of the avenues. I was just absorbing it all. So there was a massive, massive amount of, of, of content and, and music to absorb. Um, I would say probably about, two, I listened to the humanizer a lot. It was, it was, it was huge for me, um, but I didn't check out the other Dio albums. So Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, that didn't become anything for me until later. Next thing that I remember happening in my own Sabbath journey, um, a few years later, I met, I met some guys. They were from a village out of town where I grew up in Switzerland. Um, and they were very much into like 70s rock, hippie stuff. One of them was huge into doom metal. And once I started hanging out with them, they were the ones like, oh, you got to listen to, here's volume four. Here's, you know, master of reality. And, you know, they were huge stoners. And that's when I started to put it all together. Okay, so that was Philip. Uh, moving on, I mentioned the podcast Sabbath Bloody Podcast, and I've been in touch with Rai, who runs that podcast. He is from Canada, but he lived in Ireland for several years. I've mentioned him previously on previous episodes of Feckin' Metal. So here's Rai, and he's going to explain to you his Black Sabbath story. <coughs> My name is Rye. Um, I'm kind of the uh, the solo host dude of uh, Sabbath Bloody Podcast, which is a deep dive on the glorious outfit known as Black Sabbath and its many iterations over the years. Um, I kind of have been. I started about three years ago when I lived in Dublin, and uh, yeah, went through all the main studio catalog and honestly when i started i was i guess what you'd call an aussie fanboy i just uh i didn't dive into the dio stuff as much um or at all really um i was actually more familiar with like born again and maybe even a bit of seven star just because of the deep purple connection um i had no idea about tony martin that was all new so it was quite the journey for me at, at the beginning it was good because i could cut my teeth on the stuff that i actually you know was ingrained in my every being of my soul. Uh, and yeah, it was a great little journey just going in and uh, really discovering. It was like it was like discovering new bands, really, as it went on, because as you'll cover here in this series, uh, 
There's been lots of history. I actually got into them very early when I was a little kid. My dad had some Sabbath in his vinyl collection there. A couple of old uh, Vertigo pressings too. Um, he was he's he was born in Ireland, um, in Mount Malek, Port, Port Leash. Uh, so he had some old like Lizzie and some old Sabbath that was prime. And of course, it got he actually binned it when he was moving and stuff. But as a kid, there was an old pressing of Paranoid, an old. So, but I remember as a kid, uh, you know, the the Vertigo label just spinning that around as a toy, and my dad. Uh, let me uh, play it, you know. He was good that way. He wasn't trying to shelter me, my, uh, me and my youth from the evil that lurks within those albums. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Paranoid there. And then Black Sabbath was always kind of in my head as one of the cool bands that my dad liked. <laughs> and uh, when I got into buying cassettes and CDs, um, I had a, a Master of Reality cassette. I remember I still have it, actually. I found it recently. So there's one artifact from my Sabbath uh, induction. Uh, but yeah, I more or less like, you know, uh, when I got into, when I was younger playing bass and stuff like that, um, you learn all, of course, every jam band you're in, you're going to you're gonna bust out War Pigs or uh, NIB and stuff like that as a bassist. Uh, I was all about that. Um, so they've always been in, in there. And then I kind of, just the vibes of them, I got into the Metallica, Iron Maiden stuff and uh, rolled through all that and then kind of came back to the more bluesy kind of stoner stuff. Uh, so the, the Aussie stuff has always spoke to me in that sense. And, but I never really got into the Dio years. Um, I knew of them. I had friends that were really like pushed them on me. And that's kind of how I, I, I've said that with you, like Maiden's not really my jam and neither was uh, Dio. It was more because, uh, you know, it was pushed on me by hardcore maiden heads who like that's what they they just drank the kool-aid a little hard for me uh so so yeah okay so that was rye from sabbath bloody podcast moving on the next person i want to introduce you to she should be somebody who's familiar to you all this is melissa from metal chat with melissa and she gives a bit of her own background with black sabbath All right. My name is Melissa. I am from Boston, Massachusetts in the U.S. I have my own podcast called Metal Chat with Melissa. You can check it out on Spotify, Apple, and Google, and Amazon, and everywhere that you can get your podcast. Anywhere where you're listening to this podcast, you can also listen to my podcast. Uh, because I'm a little bit older, I got into Sabbath in the 70s. Uh, my first experience with Sabbath is 1976 when Technical Ecstasy came out. I have a, uh, an older sister who's about eight years my senior, and she was married at the time. And so her husband, who was still a teenager, still a pretty young guy, but older than me, I was almost 11. He was like 18, maybe 19, or almost 19. And I remember when Technical Ecstasy came out. He got the H track. 
And he's like, oh, we're going to go listen to this. And I thought he was the coolest guy. And I was so excited to, you know, be driving around his car, listening to, you know, his music. And I remember him putting the, the, uh, the tape in, the 8-track in. And he was like, what the fuck is this? He hated it. He couldn't believe it. He was just like, this is just awful. And I didn't know any better. I mean, it sounded good to me, but I didn't know. But of course, you know, I was like, yeah, this is terrible because, you know, I'm just a kid and I don't know. So I had listened to Sabbath. I had heard Sabbath before, like in his car and on the radio and things like that. But I didn't, I didn't necessarily know that that was Black Sabbath. So this is the first time that I know I'm listening to a Black Sabbath album. He wasn't impressed, so I wasn't impressed. And my brother, who is a year older than him, was also not impressed. And they, um, they spent uh, some time discussing it in my presence about their, their distaste with, with the album and, and their concern about the band in general and, and so on and so forth. And um, so I never revisited that album. I never went back to it. And um, the first album that I ever bought from Black Sabbath was that I ever like owned was Never Say Die. I didn't buy it. He gave he he, he got it for me. And finally, again, somebody who might be quite familiar to you all if you follow me on Twitter. This is Alejandra. She's appeared on Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. Um, and she is also a Black Sabbath fan, but has a unique slant on the band. And this is Alejandra's backstory with Black Sabbath. I'm Alejandra, and uh, I've been uh, a heavy metal fan for about 30 years now, or more, maybe, <laughs> uh, on and off, you know, because uh, there was a period in my life when I, I stepped away from it. I think it just uh, happened naturally as I moved on, you know, to, to hanging out with new people and metal started, you know, uh, losing uh, popularity in the in the 90s so uh, but I've recently come back to it and and I'm just loving it I I don't think I ever uh, you know stepped away completely from it I would still listen to the same music that I listened to uh, back when I was a teenager and I was into it uh, but I, I just stopped updating let's say so I just kept listening to to the same things that I used to listen to but um but yeah it was always there it was always um uh, in a special place in my heart, I suppose. I first listened to Dio. Um, I have to say, um, I suppose it was soon after um, Sacred Heart came out. Um, yeah, as you said, you know, it was it was um, you know music for for me. It was something that that I um, 
I, I shared with my cousins. And so my eldest cousin was the one that usually would buy the records and then uh, record, make like mixtapes for, for us, especially um, his sisters and, and, sh and, and they would share them with me. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I remember distinctly, you know, a tape where, uh, uh, you I, I heard Holy Diver, Hungry for Heaven was there, um, uh, Lasting Line, you know. So I, I'm pretty sure that it was after those first three records had, had come out. And that was my first approach uh, to, to Dio. And so, yeah, and so I, 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 I don't think I found out, I, I don't think I knew that Dio had been part of Black Sabbath until much, much later. Yeah, probably actually when the Dio Years compilation came out. And I was like, what? Dio wasn't, I mean, like, seriously, we, we, I, I didn't have a lot of, uh, of background. I didn't have a lot of, uh, um, let's say, uh, ways of, of being updated on, on, on certain things, you know. And so, um, yeah, I did find out uh, much, much later. I was surprised and I got that compilation and I was just blown away. I mean, uh, it was it was great. I loved it. I mean, of course, you know, Black Sabbath are the godfathers of of metal. They they invented the whole thing, and 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 I have tried, and of course, I have I have heard the most famous songs. I've heard Paranoid and Iron Man and War Pigs, and I have tried. You know, I promise. I have. Um, I just never really got into Oz's uh, singing voice. I mean, I, I told you, right, that for a time in the 80s, I kind of got into it. I, I did buy his uh, one of his solo albums, uh, The Ultimate Sin. And um, but I never I never really liked that album that much either. You know, I like Shot in the Dark and maybe a couple of other songs there, The Ultimate Sin, Secret Loser, maybe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the rest of the album I wasn't crazy about. Um, yeah, it's just his singing voice. And and when listening to the, you know, to the early Black Sabbath albums, uh, is the same thing. I don't know. I um I've also told you, right, that the, the whole atmosphere of the albums, you know, I, I know that's the appeal of it, of them, you know, for, for a lot of people. Uh, but just the gloominess and the, you know, all of that, I, it's not something that 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 speaks to me. Alright, so there are some of the people, not all of the people, who are going to be speaking on my Black Sabbath arc. Apologies for the wait. I know I've been promising things and been late in delivering them. And again, I apologize for that. I hope this episode somewhat makes up for that. And I hope it whets your appetite for what's to come. Um, because I've whetted my own appetite. <laughs> I don't know if that even makes any sense. Right, look, that's enough of that nonsense and claptrap. I will see you next week for... An episode of Feckin' Metal. Will it be episode one of Ark Sabbath? Wait and see. <laughs>